Hi there, I'm Dan Box. In the last episode of Bowerville, you heard a couple of short parts of a long conversation I had with Jay Hart, the man suspected but found not guilty of murdering three children in Bowerville over 25 years ago. A few people have expressed an interest in hearing the full conversation, so this is it. We've removed a couple of bits, partly to prevent us revealing where Jay lives now. And one other thing, this is the raw recording of a telephone conversation, so it's pretty low-quality sound. Thanks for your time. Hello? Hi, is that Jay? Yes. Jay, it's Dan Box from the Australian. How are you? Uh, good, thanks. Did you come to my place yesterday? I did. Yes. Thought it might have been you. Yes. Yes, and um, you, you called me earlier today. Yes, I did. Um, I assume you wanted to talk? I do. And, Jay, I have got to say one thing to you. Uh, this conversation's been recorded. Yes. Okay. I appreciate you taking the time to call. It's good of you. Um, you said you had something you wanted to say to me. What do you want to say? Well, there was so much. That's why I wanted to speak in person. Where do you, well, the, as you know, the case is so, um, what would you say, gone on for so long, and there's so many things that to talk about that I'm, I'm not happy with the way the press has dealt with it in the past. Okay. I, I've listened to your podcast, and uh, I'm not 100% happy with the way that went either. Not in what you've done, but in what people have said that didn't even really know me at the time and never met me. Well, let me, if I can, ask you some questions. Yeah. You know what the questions are going to be. Oh, most of them, I could assume, yeah. I just want to say, if it's going to be anything that, like, could be what would you say, construed as evidence in court. You know, for instance, I did, I've never seen any brief about Colleen. Mm. So any questions about her, I've, I've never seen any of the evidence, so I can't comment on it. Okay, I'm not going to ask you about the evidence, but let me ask you just one or two things about Colleen. You, yeah. You knew her. Obviously, yeah. How did you know her? She was Alison's niece. Yeah. She was last seen on the night of 13th of September 1990, walking down the side of that house, Three Cemetery Road. You were seen walking down the other side of that house around the same well, time. Well, once again, that's evidence in the case that I haven't seen. That could be one one person out of 30 that might have said they've seen that and no one else did. I, well, I can't me, comment on it. Let me ask you then, on that night of that party, did you walk down the side of that house to the back? No. Were you there at all around midnight, around the time Evelyn disappeared? Sorry, Ev were you there at all around midnight, around the time Colleen disappeared? I was there at one point that night, but I left early. You left early? Yeah. Before midnight? Well before. 
Do you know what happened to Colin that night? No, no. Do you say you had nothing to do with what happened to Colin that night? Absolutely. Can I be blunt with you, John? Um, yeah. I'm not being rude. I'm just trying to do my job fairly. Hang on a second. I've got a snivelly nose off. <laughs> i just put the phone uh, down a second. Absolutely. Sorry? Can I be blunt? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to do my job. Yep, yep. Why should I trust you other people say they saw you there walking down the side of the house around that time? Well, why should you trust that when... What... what see, some... That sort of stuff hasn't been tested. They haven't been... Whoever said that has not had the, that questioned. Everyone's just assuming that they're, they're right. Would you be happy to have that tested, to have that go to court? Well, I wouldn't be happy about it, but I certainly wouldn't be as concerned as some might think I would be. Let's try, let's move on to Evelyn. You knew her mum, Rebecca. Yeah. The night Evelyn disappeared, there was a party. Number six, Cemetery Road. Mm-hmm. You were at that party. Mm-hmm. You were seen walking out of the room where Rebecca and Evelyn were sleeping. No. And this was in court. I'll, I'll just put the phone down for a second. Sure. on. Just uh, having a cigarette. I'll just put you on speaker for a second. I'll find it. So in court, the person that said she's seen that, and I listened to your podcast, mm. she said that she didn't see me come out of the room. She said she's seen me walk, first seen me when I was about halfway down the hallway. My understanding of the evidence is she saw you walking out of the room. But that, that understanding's wrong then, because that's what she said in court. So you say that she said she saw you walking halfway down the hallway? Yeah. And this is in the early hours of the night? Mm-hmm. So you were in the house in the early hours of the night? No, that's what she said. I'm not agreeing with that at all. Where were you? Sorry? Where were you? Well, I don't know. I don't know what time it was or what point of the party it was or... What time did if you... If it was after the party. I, we'd been drinking all day. We were all so drunk that, you know, a normal person's, an average person's idea of drunk doesn't measure up to what the level of drunk is on that mission. So we were all drunk, and, and I've got no... I mean, it's 25 years ago. It's I've got no recollections of times now. I'd have to go back and look at stuff.
statements and things to try and refresh my memory. Let me be blunt with you again, Joe. And again, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be rude. Did you go into that room where Rebecca was sleeping with Evelyn after no. they went to sleep? No. You're saying you had nothing to do with Evelyn's disappearance? That's right. Why did you decline to give evidence at the trial over Evelyn's death? I was never uh, my barrister or QC or whatever it is. He said it wasn't needed. I didn't have to. Why didn't you? He said he didn't want me to. Why didn't you want to? Why not clear it up? At that point, it's not about me trying to clear things up. It's about winning the case. And if the guy says to me that you know, he's the one with the years of experience, if he says, I don't want you to testify, then that's what you do. How, you listen to his advice. How would it not help for you to stand up and say, this is the truth, this is my account, I had nothing to do with Evelyn's death? It's didn't need, I didn't need to testify, is what it came down to. Because there was just no evidence against me, and there was plenty of evidence. In fact, I'd say the strongest evidence in this whole cases is the sightings of Evelyn at that shop the next morning. You're talking about there's round figures, I think, a dozen witnesses who say they saw Evelyn the day after the police station. Yeah, at, at various places. Yeah, but there's various a, places. Some of them aren't as, you know, uh, could be described as sketchy, not solid, but the sighting of her at the shop the next morning, she had four of her what would you the relations with her, the younger boys about nine years old, they confirmed that it was her there. But Jay, I get the impression you spent a lot of time looking at the evidence. You must know that the police have gone back and they've re-interviewed all those witnesses who say they saw Evelyn the next day. Yeah. Almost all of them have said, actually, I'm not sure it was Evelyn or... You know, actually, I'm not sure about the date, or when they checked, they themselves weren't in Ballarigore that day. So That's not true at all. That, that might be what Detective Jubilant's telling you, but that's just not true. Jay, I've got, that, that, I've got a that, list Have you spoken to the lady, the, uh, the shopkeeper? The shopkeeper. She, yeah, she's that, the one person who stuck... Who has her. never changed her evidence over all this time. She's the, never changed it. But all the others, I've got a list of them, Jay. I've got it in front of me now. I've got a list of all the other witnesses who said, actually, my evidence isn't so good on that day. So you've got 11, 12 people whose evidence can't be trusted and one person who says, you know what, I think I did see Evelyn. But they, and you, oh, you want me to believe those, that one person? Most of those other people are from different sightings. Yeah. And I, so there was a sighting down at the bridge. Yeah. Later in the afternoon, I think. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter about they. They can say what they want. They that they're not as um. You know, they they're not as sure as they were. There was another sighting of her at the park next door to where she used to live in the middle of the day. Mm. That too. 
they're separate incidences, but the the one sighting there, the four boys confirm it was her, and the shopkeeper confirms that she's seen them all there together and confirmed the date, and she's never changed from that. She hasn't, I'll give you that. But I've got the, the, the police evidence in front of me. Those other boys who you say agree with what she said, they actually, there's records, because they were in a children's home. They, they, uh, they physically couldn't have been in Barrowville that day. No, that's not true either, because when they got into court, they brought the people from the, the um, children's home, and they couldn't confirm that they were there. They had no records. They you know, paper records that say they were brought in on a certain day. The lady that was in charge at the time, I think, I'm, I'm sketchy on this, but... Uh, the lady that was in charge at the time, they couldn't get hold of her or she would, had passed away or something like that, but they couldn't confirm that, and that's that's part of the court record. So what did happen to Evelyn, Joe? I don't know. It's not my place to have a theory. Let's talk about Clinton. But before we go on, you're yeah. talking about witnesses that have changed their mind. Yeah. We've got a statement from a particular witness mm. and her daughter mm. that was there at the inquest and they said that when she came out of the inquest, Detective Jubilant came up to her and said, look at all the other evidence, you can't be right, you need to go back in there and change what you've got, change your statements mm. in front of, on, the, on the stand. Now, that's against the law. That's witness tampering. No, I, now, don't, I don't know if that is. Oh, my, my barrister and solicitor were very firm about it. They tried to get it into court. It's the police's job to collect the evidence, not to manipulate it. But the, you know, the in, police, I mean, I, look, I don't know what happened. I, it's a, all right, I, I would it's, argue that the police have absolutely the right to put pressure on a witness to try and get to the truth. Yeah, to get to the truth, but to tell her that she's wrong in what she's seen and use other evidence that, you know, other people's statements but if the, that if the, may not be as, as strong other, as hers. We're talking about the shopkeeper. If the other people who agreed with the shopkeeper have holes in their evidence, then I think it's fair to say to her, look, all these people you thought supported you, actually they don't. Are you sure you're telling the truth here? But no, none of their statements have uh, are them supporting her. What I'm what I'm saying is the four boys were there. Evelyn came along. The four boys confirmed it was Evelyn. I'm, That's I'm their saying, little group. I'm saying there's there's doubts in the evidence over the, whether those four boys were there on that day. Yeah, there is doubts. Yeah. But but the woman from the shop, confirmed it because she said police came to her, she was sitting on her back veranda, and police came and asked her if she'd seen her, and she said, yeah, I've seen her this morning with those four boys out the front. That's what she said. So you're, you're holding tight to that evidence? Well, it's not my evidence. I'm just, I'm just being firm, trying to get the, the point across that that's what the evidence is. And it, it hasn't been... Um, discounted, like Detective Jubilant says all the evidence has been. Can we talk about Clinton? Go on. 
Quinton. I'll just put you back on speaker sure. for a second. Yep. You right? Yep. Clinton was last seen in your caravan. Uh, that's not exactly right either. That is. No. <laughs> there were people who say they thought they might have seen an Aboriginal male hitchhiker the next morning. And some of them thought it could have been Clinton, but none of them actually positively identified him as Clinton. Two of them thought it was, and there was two people that seen him on Norcay Corner that morning, apart from this truck driver. Yeah, but they... Let's get on to Norco Corner in a, mi in a minute. The it's the same evidence. It's the same, it is at Norco Corner. The, okay, the Norco Corner evidence. The people who thought they saw Clinton hitchhiking were given a photo of Clinton by the cops and asked, do you think this is the person you saw? The cops don't do that anymore because it's been shown not to work. Yeah. You get false identification. But you're right, the Norco Corner yeah. evidence. So these are the two guys who are driving into Bowerville on that morning and they think they see an Aboriginal teenage guy lying prone on the road and a white guy standing over him. Now, they... I've spoken to one of them and he says he thinks that white guy was you, Jay. Yeah, and he's never met me. But he, and he's basing, he's basing his identification on the supposed photo that he's seen years later. Yeah. Um, you're a crime reporter... You have to know how sketchy that identification is. And you just said yourself that police don't show people photos anymore because of false identification. Isn't that the same thing? But Clinton is last seen in your caravan. No, Clinton's last seen on Norco Corner, according to three, four people now. No. The two people that supposedly seen him. And the two truck drivers. The two truck drivers don't identify him as Clinton. They just say an Aboriginal male teenager. So they, uh, well, they, well, they don't yeah, see him yeah, in the morning. Yeah. And the two people, we've spoken about the two people who thought they saw a hitchhiker. There's doubts over the way police led them to that identification in the initial investigation. So, but look, I just want to get to this point. Clinton disappears from your caravan. You've been out drinking with him the night before. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that you had nothing to do with Clinton's disappearance? Absolutely nothing. So what happened? I don't know. He left my caravan sometime that morning. And what happens to him after that is you have to look at that Norco Corner evidence to try and figure it out from there. Clinton's girlfriend wakes up in your caravan after you go and after Clinton's gone wearing, not wearing her clothes. They've been removed, and they're found in your caravan. So, who took her clothes off, Jay? It must have been Clinton. And who took Evelyn's mum's clothes off? Because she wakes up after Evelyn goes missing, and her clothes have been pulled down. Who took those off, Jay? I can't speak about that, because that's something that I haven't been asked to... I'm asking you to give evidence on. I can't. It's. It, I can't speak about that. That's evidence that. But I'm asking. You don't hasn't been entered into court yet. It doesn't have. I, to, it doesn't have to be for me to ask you the question. Who took Rebecca Stanley? You can ask the question. But I'm saying I can't answer it because it's. That's something that I might be relying on at a later time. 
but that suggests you know who took her clothes off. I can suggest anything you like. I'm, I'm not confirming or denying anything. I'm just saying that I can't answer that question. Because you don't want to incriminate yourself in court. No, that's not the reason at all. If you look at Fiona Duckett's evidence, you'll see that there was quite a few people there interested in her that night. Mm. A guy, his brother and his cousin. So you look into that, I'm sure the police haven't. I think maybe the police have. Well, I'll tell you something about the police. In court on uh, the, the 2006 trial, the um, ex-boyfriend or someone, the boyfriend or something that Rebecca had just been seeing over the last few weeks, he was there that night. And he said he was out of it on drugs and alcohol that he could have been on Conquerini Road that night. True or not, I don't know, but he had said it in court. The police didn't know anything about that until then. They hadn't thoroughly questioned him. And and just going back to the witnesses on Norco Corner being unsure of their evidence now, if Detective Jubilant has gone to the shop owner and basically told her, in light of all the other evidence, she couldn't possibly write, be right, she has to go back, trying to create doubt in her mind, how many other witnesses has he done that to? That can't be right. It has to be against the law. He's, no, he's changing the, ev I don't think changing it, I don't the think, evidence. I don't think it is wrong for a police officer to challenge a witness's version of events. I actually think that's their job, Joe. I don't think it's challenging their evidence. I think it's him trying to lead their evidence. You said before that the initial investigation was leading the evidence, yeah. you know, the witnesses to the evidence that they ended up coming up with by, you know, photos and, and other things. Isn't this the same thing, him trying to lead them to saying, oh, no, I'm not sure now? Okay, okay. Oh, that's my view anyway, okay. and it's certainly the view of the barrister that I had in yeah. 2006. Yeah. He was livid over it. Joe, can I ask you about something else then? A number mm -hmm. of guys, when you were in prison, awaiting trial, before you were found not guilty, mm -hmm. a number of the people you were in prison with said you told them things about the killings. One in particular said... Mr. X. Witness X, yeah. Yeah. He said you killed Clinton, and you, he says you also said you killed Evelyn. He says you bashed Evelyn's head against a wall. Now, did you say those things? Absolutely not. That then, is so ridiculous. Then why would he say you did? He's, a con he's been convicted of perjury before. He's, he's a convicted perjurer. He's not been convicted of perjury. He's been convicted, I'll give you false pretenses and forgery, which are both fraud-related crimes, but not perjury. Um, I was certain that he was convicted of perjury in the past because one of the questions my barrister put to him in 2006 was, you know, you've lied to the juries before, why should we believe you now? The evidence from the inquest I've got in front of me doesn't mention perjury, but it does mention criminal offences that involve dishonesty. So I fully accept what you're saying there. But he had nothing to gain from saying this. Why would he say this about you? I don't know, but there's, did, you, did you also know that 
before the uh, the 1994, I think it is, trial with Clinton, mm. he sent me letters from jail along with statutory, de statutory de declarations saying that Alan Williams and another prisoner from Grafton were colluding with each other to try and set me up. Yeah. He sent me these letters and... And that, that's it, that is true. I've seen that evidence. But you see, that's and nowhere because, because that is where he's actually helping you out. He's working on your side. He's saying the police are trying to, to set you up. But then he comes exactly. around and gives evidence against you. So that actually makes me believe that his evidence against you is more likely because he's helped you out on occasion. He doesn't have a vendetta against you. <laughs> no, that's I don't say it that way. He's but what he's about, getting what something. He has to be getting something. I know he's lying. But what about the other three prison witnesses who also I've said never heard of them. They... This is, honestly, this is new, new to me. Hang on, I'll just put you on speaker again. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm smoking. No, In the police evidence, they detail three other police, uh, prison witnesses who say you discussed the crimes or made partial confessions to the crimes, including one says you used, you said you used tomato ketchup to cover up bloodstains in your caravan. <laughs> Would that even work? Back then, before DNA? Yeah, maybe it would. I don't well, know. As I say, this is the first I've heard of anyone other than Mr. X. What about, I'm not going to mention his name, but there was another guy who came forward. He wasn't a prison witness. He was a local guy from Barrowville. He came forward years yeah. later. And he, said, he said you were sitting with him, you'd been drinking together, and you whispered to him something along the lines of, I've got bodies. They're buried out on the Congarini Road. Complete nonsense. This guy took 14 years to come forward with that. Yeah, but he's got a good excuse for that. He was, you know, he didn't, he was scared of you, he said. And I wasn't even in, I wasn't allowed east of the dividing range. Why would he be scared of me? You, you walk up that mission, you... Jay, you know, there's plenty of people who are scared of you. You're a big bloke. And a lot of people say you've been violent in the past. Uh, you know, this is a case of 25 years of Chinese whispers. You, you know, you... you Passed the story around, oh, he did this and he did that, and I heard he did this, and all of a sudden it becomes, from I heard he did this, oh, I know he did this, and you do that why, over 25 why, why years. He, why would he come out and, and say that you'd said that to him? There's nothing in it for him. He's the uncle of Colleen. So you think he wants to get what? Well, well put this another way, he's Colleen's uncle. Yeah. Why wouldn't he have come forward straight away? And you can't say he's scared of me. Uh, That's said, not a reasonable excuse. It is. He says he's scared of you, and he also says he didn't believe the white cops would believe a black guy over you, another white guy. I don't believe that for a minute. Right. Like, I, I understand that, the, that there was a lot of miscommunication between the police and witnesses, you know, particularly the... Well, the Aboriginals there, but no one can tell me that that he knew that information 
and he didn't tell someone about it, even someone in his own family about it. So you ever you never said that? No, I didn't. And what about, there was other witnesses who said, and this is, I think, before the murders took place. Sorry, excuse me. There was other witnesses who said, and I think this is before the murders took place, that you had threatened to kill them, uh, or threatened to bury them out on the Congarini. That was, uh, yeah, that was an argument. I was accusing them of stealing some alcohol that I'd bought there, and it got very heated. And the term used was, I'll use you for fertiliser. That was it? There was that was it. And you said that? It, it, the, the same as if you get in a fight and say, I'll kill you. And you said it's, that? It's the same colloquialism, whatever you want to call it. It's the same. But the thing that is, was the getting thing, around the there at is, the time. John, the thing is, it may have been a threat, but those two bodies were found dumped near the Congarini Road. They were dumped. But I never mentioned Congarini Road in that argument. But you did threaten to use people for fertiliser. No, that's a, like I said, it's a saying that was getting around there at the time. And those bodies, one of them, Clinton's body, was found near a marijuana crop. Yeah. Did you have anything to do? And with there that? was a trail of marijuana leaves leading from that crop to where he was found, with a pillowcase down the front of his trousers. Yeah, Jack, he had your pillowcase down the front exactly. of his trousers. Exactly. The last place he, when he left from was my place. Why you could say that he was looking for something to carry some pot in. Jay, that's you, a re that you, reckon, you reckon at four or five in the morning he wakes up, hungover, walks several kilometres without his shoes on, with your pillowcase shoved down the front of his shorts to try and get some pot? He was hitchhiking from that corner. Two people said it. Without his shoes, with your pillowcase shoved down his shorts to try Have you seen the feet on some of them guys up there? They could walk across broken glass and they wouldn't even know it. But that's, that's, that that's your yeah. explanation of what might have happened? It's not my explanation. It is a theory that's consistent with the evidence. Another theory, and that's, another that's theory, what they that, another theory that's consistent with the evidence you got to understand is that you killed him, shoved the pillowcase down the front of his shorts, maybe when he starts to wet himself at the point of death, and then you carried him out and dumped him on the Congarini Road. They're both consistent with the after, after firstly stopping and then putting me in the middle of the road, waiting for someone to come along, pick him back up again, put him in a car that, by the way, is a, what did the guy say, a mustard-coloured station wagon? Yeah. The only car I had access to that morning was a small red four-door Galant, a sedan. It couldn't be possibly be misconstrued as a as a station wagon. But you know how you could explain all of that, except your point about the colour of the car. You could explain all of that, and I'm going to be blunt. And again, I'm not trying to be. Yeah, blunt. No, yes, you have been so far. <laughs> I know, and I appreciate. I appreciate you. you carrying the conversation on. Another theory that you know, fits the evidence is that you tried to kill Clinton, or you at least you whacked him. You carry him out to the road and you think, how can I disguise what's happened here? I can leave him lying on the road because the cars barrel around that corner. One of them is going to hit him, disguise his injuries, and then no one even knows that he was hit by me. See, that's also consistent with the evidence. Well, but if you look at the law, 
and the and the this is what the judge said in the trial. If there is a a scenario that is cons- that fits the evidence and is consistent with innocence, you have to find not guilty. That was what the judge told the jury. That law has changed slightly now. Well, regardless of whether it has or not, but it's a theory consistent with innocence. There's, I'm sure over 25 years, a lot of smart people have looked at it. They could, you can get a lot of theories. But this the, is just the one, the one the you mentioned that was just the most, the thing is, what would you say, plausible. Well, yeah, it does sound plausible. Uh, the most plausible of the theories. The thing is, for, for what you're saying, which is that you had nothing to do with all three of these, to be correct, you need all of these witnesses, the ones who said they saw you walking down the side of the house with Colleen, the ones who said they saw you walking out of the room where Evelyn disappears, the ones who say they saw someone who matches your description standing over a black teenager just after Clinton disappears. You need the ones who say you confessed to this in prison. You need the one who said you confessed to it later, saying you've got bodies buried out on the Congarini. You need all of these witnesses to be wrong. You need all of those witnesses to have their evidence tested, and some have, and and come up short. Like like the one you just mentioned, the one that saw me walking down the hallway. I lived, I used to live at that address. I boarded with, um, what, Muriel. I, I had a room there. And you go to a party up there, you drink until you drop. You basically drop wherever you are. I could have just as easily been walking up to the boys' room, which is where Fiona was sleeping at the time, looking for a, a somewhere to crash for the night. And... I heard the baby turned around and walked away. So you're saying that's what happened? I'm not saying that is what happened. I'm saying that's what could have happened. But, uh, you know? You're talking, you're talking about evidence being tested. All this evidence being tested in court. You know mm-hmm. as well as I do that all this evidence has never been tested all in court at the same time. The not at the same time. Yeah. Would you welcome someone doing that? that are caught hearing all of this evidence at the same time. Yeah, I've thought, I've thought about that over, over the years since these double jeopardy laws have been changed. I've, like, almost, if it wasn't for the strain it puts on the family, you know, emotionally and financially and all the other things that go along with it, the national celebrity that comes with it. I don't want none of that. But then again, I want the actual evidence to be all heard and seen that it wasn't me. So it's a tough question. The same, it's just as, almost as tough a question as me ringing you this afternoon to whether to talk to you or not. That was a tough question. And I... Except you did it. But you're saying there's a part of you that would like to see this all go to court. A small part, we'll put it that way. And if it did, this time, would you give evidence? Once again, that's up to the guys that are in control of the case. You don't hire a 
you know, a mechanic to look at your car and then second guess him if the mechanic says, but you, you know, don't you go hire near them, it. Jay, you hire these guys. You give them instructions. I don't hire them. No, you come from the public. They co- okay, you're talking about legal aid, but technically they get instructions from you. If you tell them, I want to give evidence, they have to say yes. You are you are the only person who can make sure that you give evidence. And what I'm saying is, if their advice is not to, you don't have to, then why would I go against their advice? Okay, okay. Yeah, you've got to see that as sensible. I do. Jay, I've got to say one thing. You've done something quite exceptional in calling me up today and having this conversation and answering these questions. You have done something quite exceptional. What I'm going to do is we've got one more episode of that podcast to go out. I will make certain that not the whole conversation, because we've been talking for longer than that episode will last, but this conversation is represented in that. I'll also write something for the paper that gives this account that you've given me. Your account will be made public as I have made the other evidence. I won't get a chance to do that before tomorrow, so it won't be in the paper until, what is that, Thursday. And the fifth episode also comes out on Thursday. So, in both of those, we'll give your account of what happened. And your account of the evidence. Yeah, I just want to get... Can I just bring up a few things before we go? Yeah, yeah. There's been multiple accounts of me working with Aboriginal children. Yeah, that's not true. I've checked that. Yeah, it's absolutely not true. Yeah, I work true. in IT. Yeah. Um, Alison's evidence. She told you I tried to kill her twice. Yeah. Well, that's she told me that you, you were violent towards her twice. Yeah, well... Yeah, I mean, see. And that I'd never been charged with anything. Well, you I was charged with... I was charged with assault, yeah, and I, I did six months well. community service. I couldn't get the details of exactly what charge you got and what the result it was. was but I know, I know that you were charged for some of the things she alleged, and I said that. And the other thing was, with as far as that gun goes, at some point before that argument, like where she reckoned I tried to shoot her with the gun, yeah. she had fired off a two four three caliber rifle in the house which I was licensed to own at the time. So this is before you threatened her with a gun, and you're saying she fired a rifle in the house? She fired that rifle off in the house. And when I got home that afternoon, the lady that owned the place, Rita Chapman, she went off at me about it. And, you know, a big argument ensued. I went inside, and I had a look through the hole in the wall. The bullet had gone straight through a stud and was basically aimed straight up the house across the street. After that, I took the firing pins out of those guns and I took them round to my cousin's place. And so the firing pins were never in the guns together with the guns again after that mm. while I was with her there. But you did threaten her with a gun? I, it was one of them stupid bloody things. She's going on about she wanted to kill herself. I said, grab the gun off the rack. I said, here, go ahead and do it. Right. With no firing pin in the gun, of course. How mm. could she? Mm. She's gone around the corner to her relatives, claiming that I'm trying to shoot her in this. The sergeant turned up. He took the guns. He went and um, verified that the firing pins were in another location. 
and the next day he gave them back to me. No charges involved. There was no violence involved, apart from a huge argument over, you know, her being her, and me being me, and so you know that it's it's just a case of her having such a selective memory. Yeah. And you know, and I just wanted to go to the word "juiced" just before we go. Yeah. Because so much has been said about this word. The relevant part that I'm looking at here is fresh evidence is defined as that which, A, was not adduced in the proceedings in which the person was acquitted Mm. and could not have been adduced in those proceedings with the exercise of reasonable diligence. So is any of this evidence that they are claiming is fresh and compelling could not have been found through the exercise of reasonable diligence? My understanding is that they put it, you, you know, you obviously keep a very close eye on what's said about this case. You know that the police are putting a brief together to apply yeah. the retrial. My yeah, understanding is that, independent. Yeah, that will detail some fresh and compelling evidence. Um, I don't know at the moment what all of that is. Yeah, and neither do I. I'm just no. assuming that the truck driver and some of these other, you know, there's people saying I used to carry around pills and give to everyone and mm. it was quickies. It's the only thing I used to carry around was quickies because I had heartburn all the time. Yeah, I'm still taking medication for, for heartburn. Did you ever spike? Did you ever spike women's drinks, Joe? No, unless you're called quickies. <laughs> yeah. All right. Look, I um, I've written a story that will go in the paper um, based on some of the coronial documents about these allegations of drink spiking. So we say they're allegations. Tomorrow, when I come in and write the paper, the story for tomorrow's paper, it will be your account. Okay. Okay. And the, and the podcast on Thursday will be your account. Can I just ask you one last thing? Mm-hmm. You know the police are putting together this, this brief of evidence to call for a retrial. Mm-hmm. Are you worried? As I said before, I'm more worried about the stress and strain on the family and everyone I know and the financial stress it's going to put on me. You know, I'm on a pension. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't got money to go and spend on, you know, motels for two months mm-hmm. at a time. Uh, that That's what I'm worried about more than... Because this is the thing. If you put the two or three cases together... Yeah. Well, we'll talk about just two cases. We'll just leave Colleen out for a moment because I don't know anything about that yeah. brief of evidence. If you put... Colleen and Clinton together, you get a stronger case against me. Yeah. But you also get a stronger case for my not having anything to do with because there's so many more witnesses when you combine the two cases together. I don't want to go back into that whole argument yeah, okay. about the strength of the, yeah, yeah. the witnesses, but they're there. You know, it, it, so, I don't know. I'm, I think that's enough. Right. For, for me to be found not guilty again. 
as I said, I'm more worried about the stress and strain and financial burden it's going to put on us than actually being found guilty. But I'll tell you now, if it happens, you'll, I'll certainly be feeling my my <laughs> fair share of stress. So yeah. often, you can't go into that sort of thing and not be worried. Yeah. All right, then, I thanks for listening to me, and I, no, no, I really you, hope thank you... Thank you for taking the time to call uh, me. Uh, that's all right. Um, and the only reason I rang you is I thought you you were trying to show that it wasn't all one you know one sided. You were trying to be at least a little more um, what's the word objective than some of the other reporters that have ambushed me in the street. Right. Well, like I said, now you've spoken to us, we can balance things. And we'll do that in Thursday's reporting. Okay, then I look forward to hearing your podcast then. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Dan. Bye. Bye. Bye.